0: I'm Taryn Ward.
1: And I'm Stephen Jones.
0: And this is Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines.
1: We're taking a closer look at the core issues around social media, including the existing social media landscape, to better understand the role social media plays in our everyday lives and society.
0: In recent episodes, we've been looking at the rise and fall of several different social media empires. Today, we'll turn our attention to Twitter, or as it's now known, X.
1: (laughs) There's a lot to unpack here and we may well take deep dives into specific aspects of both Twitter and
0: X. But over the next couple of episodes, we'll focus on the rise of Twitter from a staff messaging system and a podcasting company to one of the world's biggest social media networks and its eventual transformation to X and what the future likely holds.
1: We will start, as always, with the core question. What made Twitter, Twitter?
0: (laughs) Hmm. that's a really good question and so hard to answer because Twitter' has been around a long time and I think the answer has changed um I think when I think back to when I used it first initially it was really this ability to chat with experts in a way that felt like you could you could reach them directly almost like you were directly texting them it felt informal and familiar and so is this There is an element of comfort and maybe even security. And I think part of that was because it was like texting and sort of like AOL Instant Messenger or Gchat rolled up into one sort of experience. At the same time, you could talk to experts. So it wasn't just talking to friends you already had or strangers. It was talking with people who were, you know, really leading they were really thought experts and leaders in their field, which was just so cool. It was very, very, very cool and hard to describe if you didn't experience it yourself because it's so different to what happens on Twitter now. So we're a long way from that now. And there are a lot of different things that went into making it what it is. But I would say that for me, that's what made Twitter Twitter.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably a large part of it. It was You know, this instant access to people that you could... They would never be in your social circle unless you were extraordinarily fortunate. But the average person would never know what, you know... Well, a reporter for The Guardian was actually thinking when they were on the ground in Iraq, for example. Or, you know, any example you like. You know, it it was uh, a a unique sort of experience, I think. And that text-based nature of it, particularly when it started was really you know it was really familiar i think you tapped into something that there this is absolutely right you know we were used to texting our friends so it didn't feel quite so weird when we were texting people we didn't really know it sort of made it familiar i, I really like that characterization so that's really cool and let's let's move on and think about where twitter actually started and and it is one of the older large platforms in existence it it began in uh, in 2006
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's go right back to the beginning, right? So Twitter, back then, TWTTR, was the result of a session from February. So February of 2006, where Jack Dorsey, Noah Glass, Evan Williams, Biz Stone, they discussed this idea of using SMS text messaging to share statuses, which might sound sort of blah now, but at the time, it was a brand new concept. And so, you know, another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that famous informative 140 character limit was actually the result of the SMS origins of the platform. That was the limit. So it wasn't, they didn't, you know, make up this number or anything like that. It was, it was a function of the technology at the time. And we can think about whether that helped the platform or hindered it, but it's, it, it has been really important to how it developed and how it was used. And we'll come back to all this later. But one other fun fact during development, the team incurred hundreds of dollars in SMS charges sending tweets because it was still, you were still being charged per text back then.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, for anybody who's a little younger than either of us, this would be a, an alien concept because instant messaging of all kinds is just included and has been for years now. But back in the day, you were actually—it was a bit like developing f- actual film photographs. You were careful about what you sent because you were going to get charged, and in some cases, depending on your carrier, it was—it was actually a ridiculous amount of money when you think about it.
0: Yes, I you know now when I'm texting someone, it is sort of like sometimes I'll send one or two words, and then I'll send another message, and then I'll send another message, and I you know I don't really have to think that long before I send a text, but I can remember a time when. You, you would definitely take your time and think about exactly how much you wanted to say and put it in one chunk of text if you could fit it uh, before before hitting send.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is a completely alien alien concept. I think we were paying 10 to 15 pence a text at one time, which is absolutely, absolutely stupid. But tweets sort of were still valuable, even if you weren't paying for them. And, and the first tweet ever sent, um, which was actually sent on the 21st of March 2006 at 9.50pm, which just goes to show that Jack Dorsey was burning um, the late night oil, um, and uh, it wasn't particularly profound. It, it read, just setting up my TWTTR. But what's really interesting is though, whilst it must have cost 15 cents for him to send that, an NFT of the tweet was sold by Dorsey uh, in 2021 for two point nine million dollars um quite a return on the 15 cents it cost intended and uh, a year later it was offered for sale by by the person who originally purchased it for 48 million dollars unfortunately the uh, the highest bid he received was uh, nine thousand nine hundred and sixty eight and in july of this year it was actually valued at 375 um and I have the trouble feeling that at some point soon it will actually be worth the cost of the original SMS message. Um, so not a great investment. Twitter launched to the public in July of that year. And um, users tweeted about a minor earthquake in California in the August. And that gave the team insight into how Twitter would be used to share individual experiences of, of major events.
0: Yes. And it wasn't until South by Southwest that Twitter actually hit a tipping point. So the number of tweets during that conference went from 20,000 to 60,000, partly because the team placed brilliantly 60-inch TV screens in the hallways and streamed the tweets so people walking by could see them and participate.
1: Isn't that an absolutely genius marketing tool? You have to think that people didn't really understand what a tweet was. And so he uh people who are obviously extremely interested in tech actually seeing in in presumably almost re- real time, you know, what other people are saying and then, you know, getting excited and joining into the conversation. Um, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I think that, that you know, clearly built on that insight from the earthquake, which was, you know, I think I read quite small, like 4.4 4 on the, the Richter scale, but just the fact that they saw that people were tweeting about what how, how they experienced it. Um and you know they were they were tracking that. Uh presumably that gave them the idea for using this event that they were at to um to sort of like build build enthusiasm for. And and it absolutely was the 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 tipping point which really got them started. It's very clever.
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: Like in the um the early earthquake, Twitter activity spikes during major events. Um the tweeting record was broken in 2010 when 2,940 tweets per second were sent in the 32nd period after Japan scored against Cameroon. Um, it was broken again three days later when the LA Lakers won the NBA final. And again, seven days later, when Japan beat Denmark in the World Cup.
0: It's, it's really interesting because, you know, we've talked about this 140-character limit and what Twitter was meant to be initially and how it really... Became fairly quickly about the ability to post about something that a lot of people were experiencing, or something that a few people were experiencing, but a lot of people were interested in or curious about. And this connection between, you know, the character limit and how it evolved and and what it ended up meaning to people is a really interesting line of thought to follow.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's right. And it, it, tie that sort of like the immediacy of the of the reaction and group participation in a, or extended group participation in a, in a major event with, you know, the ability to hear from experts. Earthquake happens, everybody's going to tweet about they, what they feel, but a geological scientist can also come in and explain what they're doing. And, and of course, you know, as time went by, emergency management services for local jurisdictions would also tweet out, you know, what was actually happening and what people should do and you know, it, it became really a way of of communicating. In um, you know, when something interesting was going on, and you know, I think we often think of crises or um, you know, public safety incidents, but but obviously, you know, sporting events are also really important because the the those records were all broken during um, you know major sporting events, um, which is which is really interesting, um, and also a lot of a lot of fun. I think mean, we you know, in the recent years we've we've heard a lot about you know, the serious side of Twitter and very often negative, uh, the negative way that t- Twitter has been used. It's n- it's not always been that. And in fact, there are a lot of things happening even now which are not dreadful and potentially damaging to society.
0: Yes. And I think that that mix is is really important to the community too, and it has been for a long time. But there are some technological challenges to operating a network that functions in that way. So this ability to go from you know, a few thousand tweets per minute to lots and lots, um, you know, 10 or 100 times more than that, is, you know, certainly back then was challenging. It's still challenging now, as you and I both know. But, you know, for example, when Michael Jackson died in 2009, the Twitter servers crashed. So users were updating their status and and including the words Michael Jackson. And it was, you know, it was at a rate of something like 100,000 tweets per hour doubling the normal load and the servers crashed as a result
1: yeah and it's really interesting because users particularly now are not terribly tolerant overall of this kind of service failure it's just it's expected to work like a utility is expected to work you you turn on a light switch the light comes on you tweet it goes out um and, and you know we we do see new platforms um who who crash as a result of you know Um, unexpectedly large growth and and sometimes the cynic in me might suggest that it's not just technical insufficiency but it's a it's a marketing ploy to indicate how popular they are um, and get some some lines of print or coverage online and and i'm pretty sure in some cases that is the case but it wasn't the the only thing that went wrong that day in you know i I read as i was preparing this that that google searches spiked for michael the, the phrase michael jackson and the system at Google felt that it was under attack. And so it actually returned error messages for those, those those search requests, right? Which is, you know, can you imagine Google not responding to a request about Michael Jackson's health at the moment he died or around the time he dies? It's really, you know, we've come a long way in uh, in that time frame because I think that would be extremely bad for business at Google.
0: Yes, I I would think so, and I think your cynicism, at least to this case, is is well founded. Um, but I think probably back then it really was a genuine technical problem. The question, though, is why did they get away with it in the way that they did, right? And I don't mean that in like a, a throwing stones kind of a way, but you know. When you depend on a platform or you think you can depend on a platform as a way to get immediate news or share immediate news, and then it lets you down at a moment when it's really important, not that Michael Jackson's death was necessarily that important in a in a news way or like an emergency, but obviously it was important to a lot of people. And they couldn't, they couldn't engage at that moment when it really counted. Why do you think people didn't just say, that's it, I'm... You know, we're moving on or finding something else.
1: It is. That's a really. It is a really good question, and I'm not really sure why you would get away with that. I guess we were. It was a simpler time. You know, even though it was only 2009, which to the two of us doesn't really feel like that long ago. Maybe there were just other things to worry about. It it was also interesting that, that CNN didn't really report this until they actually had a confirmation from the coroner that Michael Jackson was dead. And I don't think they're that responsible anymore. So maybe it just was the time and that people weren't so obsessed with the immediacy of access and response but you know i i really think that now when the platform goes out and it did go out actually not that long ago you remember shortly after elon musk took over um they had a failure and i think we will probably talk about that in in one of the future episodes in this series that was major major news and um and there was a a certain amount of consternation so i think it's it, it probably is true that it it doesn't work what do you think? Any any final thoughts on that one?
0: I think there are a few things going on. I think we were more tolerant of those things back then, but not that we were more tolerant as a people, but I think we, we understood and were used to technology not always working the way we wanted it to in the time we wanted it to or how we expected it to. And so I think because, you know, it wasn't brand new, but it was still new enough that I think people understood that there were going to be some of these, Hurdles and you know stumbles along the way, and it would take some time to get to a point where things worked the way they work now. It's a different story um, with with what's happened more recently. But I think back then, you know, people were still really hopeful that this would that these issues would work themselves out. The other thing to think about is there was no other alternative. So now, you know, we're going to do a whole series on this. There are a dozen Twitter alternatives and competitors. But in 2009, it was Twitter. That was it. And and the other social media networks were so different and not conducive to this kind of engagement that it really wasn't, you couldn't just say, all right, well, Twitter crashed. We're done with Twitter. Let's move over to Facebook. And so it was just a different time and context.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a nice thing, having a monopoly on a on a way of communicating, right? That, what are people <laughs> going to do? So I think that's that's really cool. That's a really good answer, actually, So in 2010, Twitter rolled out new Twitter, which uh, significantly changed the the character of the platform and introduced the ability to see pictures and videos, which was, you know, um, transformational at the time. You know, we only worked for a limited number of sites like YouTube, but um, previously it was, as you you know, text only or you had to leave. You clicked on a link and you left Twitter. Um, They also changed how mentions and retweets and messages were displayed and, of course, Uh, Much to um, everyone's uh, annoyance and disappointment, they introduced advertising. What extent do you think the addition of those photos and videos, and I guess we'll talk about advertising as well, but just that, first of all, the the photos and and videos changed the core nature of Twitter and what, what impact do you think it's had long term?
0: Ooh, I can tell you at the time, I really disliked it. I mean, you know, I don't like change anyway, but none of these changes seemed necessary or positive to me at the time. You know, what possible use could there be to post a photo or video on Twitter? Why are they introducing ads? This was, you know, overall, for for me personally, a less, a less enjoyable experience. Over time, I think, you know, I've softened a little bit on that very little bit. I understand why you would want to add photos and videos to something like Twitter. And of course, you know, ad revenue is, we'll talk more about that too. But I think it both changed Twitter and didn't. I think some people do post photos and some people do post videos, but by and large, the the core of Twitter has remained about the text. Um, And I think that both shows its resilience and the lack of a real need to make that change.
1: Yeah, I mean I I feel the same way and I think I've become more negative about the addition of photos and videos or at least links to photos and videos on Twitter over time. I think there's um there's there is a a benefit to being able to take a a photo, a video on your phone and upload it to Twitter of an an event which is happening right now. And I think we've seen lots of examples where that's been done. And, you know, that's a positive thing on the whole. But I I do sort of come back to this idea that this this short, punchy, 140-character text limit communication was really... Even if they didn't have a planned reason for it, other than that was the length of SMS messages, the maximum length of SMS messages, that it, it worked out that that was really, I think, a good hook. And then being able to have people share YouTube videos, particularly, I mean, I just don't, I don't see that. I mean, I can see from the business point of view having links to specific sites with which you perhaps have commercial agreements to um, share revenue makes a lot of sense that was probably part of it but i don't i don't think it was good for the platform for what i think up until this point it had been really good for which was that the engagement with experts engagement with what was going on and i think it did change it and of course you know it, we have to we have to talk about it the the introduction of of advertisements fundamentally changes the way that a service will interact with you because suddenly you're not the customer you're the product and the the advertisers are the are the uh, the customer of the service right
0: yes absolutely and you know a lot more changes followed and next time we'll we'll talk about those so we'll pick up from 2011 and follow more of those changes twitter's evolution through all of it twitter's role in the arab spring the trump years and elon musk's eventual purchase of the platform In our final episode of this series, we'll look at what's happened since Musk's purchase and what the future holds. In the meantime, we'll post a transcript of this episode with references on our website. You can find this and more information about us at thebrightapp.com.
1: Until next time, I'm Stephen Jones. And I'm Taryn Ward. Thank you for joining us for Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines.